Okay, hi, this is Jeff Cooper from Classic Christian Rock Radio, and we have from the band Prodigal, Rick Fields as our guest today. Hi, Rick, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for doing this. It took a bit of getting going with the scheduling scheduling and that in time zones, but uh, you're in Ohio, is that right? Right, Cincinnati, Ohio. Right, and I'm out here in BC, Canada, so we're three hours apart, I think, or are we two hours apart? Three, three hours apart. Yeah. Three hours apart, so we do this as early as we can so I don't keep you up too too late. I know musicians like to go to bed early, right? Oh, yeah, right. Well, old musicians. <laughs> That's what I say. <clears throat> I'm also in a band, and we're often saying, man, we're too old to do this, you know. But uh, at least the, the tearing down of gear and things like that anyway. Okay, so, um, Rick, tell us about your musical background. Um, well, me personally, um, I, I started, I, I'm from kind of a musical family, kind of recreationally musical, um, no real serious uh, uh, prodigies or anything like that in my family. Um, my parents both played um, guitar and um, piano. And, uh, so I had, I had that influence and I also had a, um, uh, my youngest brother was nine years older than me. And, uh, so when I was, uh, starting to become cognizant, like around the age of five or six, my brother was a teenager. Uh, and so in the, this was the fifties. Um, so he had a, uh, transistor radio with him at almost all times. <laughs> and, uh, so the, the, uh, the pop rock radio of the fifties was always on in my house. Um, and so, uh, with the musical background of my parents, uh, we had family friends that would come over and they would, uh, have a kind of hootenanny thing going on with uh, a friend played a banjo and my dad played guitar and my mom and my sister sang. And so I, yeah, I had a lot of, um, a lot of musical, uh, influences going on around my house, different influences. Um, uh, and, uh, my parents uh, signed me up for piano lessons when I was five, mm-hmm. and um, I took piano lessons all the way up until I was um, five and a half. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually got booted out um, by my teacher because uh, after I became familiar enough with what I was playing, I would quit reading the music and just play by ear, and um, and that made him mad. So. <laughs> Yes, he felt that uh, if, if I thought I could do it <clears throat> well enough, you know, that I didn't really need him. So, uh, so that was my first experience at being um, kicked out of uh, music. Uh, and I, I have been actually uh, drummed out of music class at every level of education. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's something about those lines and dots that uh, just <laughs> never mean. Um, but anyway... Um, so my brother went to the Navy when uh, I was nine years old, and uh, I inherited the uh, family radio. So I became the music aficionado of uh, of 60s now um, music and uh, just listened all the time to all the music that was coming out. Um, and uh, when I was about 10 years old, I, I th- my parents decided, I guess, that it was time for me to try um, music lessons again. Mm-hmm. And, um and they bought a, a, a uh, an organ for the living room for the family. And uh, uh, so they signed me up for organ lessons. And this this was r- really probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, while I did have to read 
the lines and spaces. Uh, this teacher also taught me the chord method of playing. Mm. It, he, she realized that I, I kind of had an ear for music, and so she um, thought probably the best way for me to, to continue on was to learn to play chords. And, um, and then I realized that if I could figure out and listen and hear the chords of songs, then I could, by ear, pick out the notes that connected the chords, and pick out the melodies, then I could do away with the dots and the lines and, and all that stuff, which, you know, now back, I mean, many times in my life, I've, I have wished that I could have disciplined myself to conquer the lines and spaces. They're not mm -hmm. really that scary, but, um, <laughs> but just, there was yeah. just something about it. Anyway, uh, so I learned to play chords, which really uh, opened things up for me. And um, uh, then I, I got interested in bass guitar because for some reason on my little record player, I could always hear the bass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And somehow it connected with my young mind that the bass was the root note most of the time was the root note of the chord. Um, and so I could figure out, by hearing the bass, I could figure out the chords. Um, so anyway, I started playing I started playing bass guitar um, when I was about, I guess, 12. Um, and so, you know, it just kind of went on from there. So that's, that's basically how I got started <coughs> in music. Yeah. Um, who would so have been, been uh, uh, who would have been some of your musical heroes? Well, um, <coughs> You know, in the early days of the '60s, um, you know, I, I liked a lot of the vocal groups like the Four Seasons, mm -hmm. um, and uh, even I was so into it that I even knew some of the producers like Phil Spector and, uh -huh. and people like that. Um, and but uh, the, I'd have to say that the Beatles really nailed it for for me. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of uh, just seeing. What could be done? They wrote their own songs. They played their own music, um, and uh, seeing the, pan the pandemonium that they were able to cre create. Yeah, just the four of them. Yeah, and um, so yeah, it was it was it was the Beatles. Um, it did totally totally destroyed my uh, seventh grade academic career um, when uh, when the Beatles hit the United States. Yeah, the, the, actually the whole British invasion thing. Uh, so that's that's my really earliest um, earliest influence, uh, and uh, you know, it, of course, it you know went on from there. Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I can relate. Uh, I think Ringo was my hero. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. So when did uh, Prodigal get together, and how did you decide on what style of music? Uh, if you ever did, because it's often said that you had a lot of different uh, sounds from album to album, even song to song. Um, how would you describe that? How did you get together, first of all? Well, um, it was um, it was definitely definitely a, a God thing. Um, as far as you know, musically, I was looking for some some direction, um, and uh, I. My wife and I had just moved to a new area of town north of Cincinnati, and uh, I had found a new music store that I'd never been to. Um, and I visited that music store, and as, as I was walking out the door, I saw a poster on the door that I hadn't seen coming in, but it just caught my eye as I was walking out, and uh, it was a 
cartoonish um, type hand done poster, um, and uh, I, I noticed that it said something about Christian music. Mm. Just looking for musicians for uh, to play Christian music like Andre Crouch and Love Song, and yeah. you know mentioned people that I had heard and listened to and enjoyed. So, uh, and they were looking for a bass player or a drummer. Um, and uh, I was looking for a band to play guitar with. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, but it said, so if you do these things and you're interested in this music, uh, or if you do anything and you're interested in this, <laughs> just give me a call. Mm-hmm. So I took down the phone number, and that, that phone number was um, uh, Lloyd Boldman. Right. Late, late Lloyd Boldman. And this was 1975, winter of 1975. So I, um, I gave Lloyd a call, and... Um, our first phone conversation was about two and a half hours mm. uh, because we found out that we had a lot a lot in common musically and um, uh, and that we, uh, we we thought we needed to get together and so what what he had uh, at the time was um, a group called crossroads he you know, that was his what he had named it and it was basically an ensemble group of High school friends and their wives. Yeah, um, it was Lloyd and his wife, and yeah. um, his wife's brother and his <clears throat> his wife and you know there's about six people, and they had their instrumentation was um, really interesting. It was uh, electric piano, mm-hmm. guitar, violin, and a French horn. Uh, so whosoever will may come. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was, and it, musically it wasn't really what I was. Yeah. what I was for but uh, I, I talked to him on the phone about it and it, w- one thing that intrigued me was he said oh we also you know since we're all close high school friends and we're all Christians and and kind of almost family um, that we also every every other Sunday we have an afternoon Bible study uh, and um, and I was kind of looking my wife and I were kind of looking for something like that um, also uh, something you know beyond our, our church um, group to uh, somebody to connect with so but I, I you know thought well you know I, I should I should probably you know check into this and so I was talking you know still continuing this phone conversation and said well you know if if I do you know come and like audition for your group and and if you know if it's, if it's something that you would want to pursue he said oh you're in the band <laughs> So uh, I guess this was probably an hour into the two and a half hour conversation. <clears throat> I was I was already in the band, yeah. Whether I wanted to be or not, uh, <laughs> so, so I uh, we arranged a, a rehearsal. Um, I don't know if it was a few days later or whatever, but I I went and and set up and played through. They were playing some some songs that Lloyd had written, and <laughs> and the first thing he did was he opened up a a music book of songs that him and his guitar player friend had written and and, and there there were the dreaded faces and lines oh, and, dot. Oh. <laughs> and I said um so you guys you guys all play by by music huh and he said oh no he said I just wrote this out just to you know mainly for the violin player I said oh okay because I don't I don't do that stuff that <laughs> music stuff I, I play by ear and uh, he said oh that's fine but um, we went through a few songs, and I thought they were kind of interesting, um, very new 
newbie-ish, you yeah. know, as far as songwriting, craft, and as far as uh, even, you know, Christian. Yeah. Christian Lloyd was a relatively new Christian at the time, and, and so were, were his friends and family. So anyway, um, within two weeks, um, everybody else quit. Mm. <laughs> Except <laughs> me. Mm, boy. Uh, and um, so it was, I think what it was, was they... Everybody realized that Lloyd and I really had made a connection that was going to be a lot more serious than they felt um, they were willing to commit to. I mean, it was fun for them, and it was something to do, and it kind of kept the uh, high school buddy-buddy flame going. But when I came in and, and Lloyd and I started talking serious music stuff, they just said, well, yeah, you know. I mean, we, and we kept doing the Bible study, which mm -hmm. was a really... And we kept doing that for quite some time. But um, so it left, you know, Lloyd and I there together. And um, and Lloyd said, well, <laughs> kind of like, are, are you going to leave too? <laughs> and he said, what, what do you want to do? And I said, I think we should start a rock band. Mm. I, you know, I said, I think that, you know, with our experiences and, and the, you know, the different, we had so many... Um, uh, like experiences and then we had so many such a broad spectrum of differences that were I mean that were just different I had so many experiences that were, that were different that it, it really our differences were so complementary and our likenesses were, were so spot-on that it just seemed like we got to do something with this you know and it, it, it might not be it might not be lying in either of our sweet spots right now but it really feels like we should we should do this. Okay, mm -hmm. well, let's find a drummer and a bass player and make it happen. So we 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 went on from there and, and found a found a drummer pretty quick uh, that was going to the church that I was in. Mm -hmm. and, uh, could not find a bass player. Um, we and we had that problem up until um, until like 1979 when when Mike Wilson finally joined with us. We just have. Every time we people would say, "Hey, every time we um, we come see you guys, you've got a different bass player." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just have we have that summary. Yeah, but anyway, um, within uh, probably about a year, uh, we decided that Crossroads, the Crossroads name, wasn't working for us, mm. and um, and we went through the the dreaded process of trying to come up with with a name for the band and. And um, yeah, I finally, Lloyd called me one night and said, I, I, I've got the name. And we were doing this folky song that I had written before I ever met, in like 70, 1973 or something like that, called Prodigal. Mm. And um, Lloyd said, I think we should call the band Prodigal. I said, really? You're kidding. I don't think that's a very good name. <laughs> no, I said, I think it's just, I think it's going to be just right. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's yeah. Sounds name it after one of my songs. Great. Okay, uh, so then you know that's that's where the name came from. We changed the name in like 1976, um, and uh, at that time, you know, we were still both you know learning how to write songs. Um, we wrote a lot of songs together. Um, that would be pieces of songs that pieces of un unfinished songs that he had. And I would take pieces of unfinished songs that I had, and we would put them together and make one song, and just 
things like that 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 just really worked out great and you know none of those songs are songs that ever made it to what the people eventually heard in 1982 when we first released our first album with Heartline Records mm. except the except the song Prodigal you have just a, a few snippets of it yeah. on the first album so you played a lot of different styles of music so how did the process go of deciding what sound you wanted was it just experimental did you say you obviously put songs together uh that would explain a lot of uh you know transitions in songs which are just awesome um what style would you say the band actually was was there one label or did you just say we're a rock band or um yeah, yeah, I think it's probably easiest just to say we were a rock band. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our, our our first album, the first three songs on the first album, you have Invisible Man, and then you have Easy Street, and then you have yeah. Fire with Fire. It's three diff- That sounds like three different bands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, play those three on the radio, all three of them right in a row, and you'd think, wow, who who were those last three bands? Exactly. Like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. You know, we didn't plan that. It's just those were the songs. That was the order that everybody chose to put the songs in. And I, you know, I, I listen back to it now, and I think eh, I don't know if "Fire with Fire" really fits. You know, but it fit us at the time. So, you know, and Lloyd wrote that song, um, and, and it's not. You know, that's not a song that we wrote together. But I sang it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's probably shows my influence more than anybody else's influence in the band. I had a pretty strong country rock influence yeah. through the years. Uh, my One of my favorite bands was Poco. Uh-huh. And uh, when I met Lloyd, he had never heard of Poco. Um, of course, he'd heard of the Eagles. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of connection there um, between those two bands. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so... Um, you know, I got him turned on to Poco and listened to Poco. Um, Good move. And, uh, yeah, uh, and so I guess probably if I was sitting down to, to put together um, the track listing for the first album today, I probably wouldn't include Fire with Fire. Mm. Uh, just personally, you know. I mean, I love the song, uh, but... Uh, I think it really sticks out among pretty much all the rest as being, you know, the odd duck. Um, you go back, you go to the fourth song on on side one, and you have um, Sleepwalker, uh-huh. which, which once again fits back with Invisible Man as being, oh, that's that band again. Yeah. And then, and then the, the last song um, on uh, on the first side, uh, once you're back again. That's I don't I don't know what band that is. Mm. Um, so I, well, part of the thing too with with the first album is um, there were three songs I believe that were not the same rhythm section. Oh, they were uh, actually they were recorded uh, the song um, "Hard Bargain" <clears throat> and song I want you back again and um, um, uh, the, oh, the rocker that kicks off out of prodigal 
intro on side two. I don't know who you are. Right. Yeah, I re- I remember these songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those three songs. Uh, there was a point in time, it was around 1980, that um, our producer John Phelps uh, finally got tired of us running this revolving door of bass players and drummers through every time you know he was one of the guys that said you know every time i hook up with you guys for a production meeting or something you've got a different you've got different personnel and he said i want lloyd and rick to me lloyd and rick is prodigal mm-hmm. lloyd Bull, rick fields is prodigal said, so i'm going to sign you guys to a production contract we're going to go to the studio we're going to do a four song demo and i'm going to get you a record deal and that you put together a live band with whoever you want. You play with whoever you want live. So right. Radical live can be whoever will put up with you guys. <laughs> he said, but when it comes to studio, it, it's Lloyd and Rick and then the best studio players that I can put together. Mm. So we went to, to um, BJ Studio in Orlando, Florida, and he hired um, session players from Nashville uh, to come in and play on these songs. Uh, so there were actually four songs done, and the, we only used three of them on the, on the first album. But there's just a couple of, a couple of songs that, um, that we don't even play on. Um, uh, like, um, yeah, um, uh, I Want You Back Again. I sing lead vocal. Um, there's a, a session singer that does the background vocals. And, and session drummer, session bass player, session keyboard player, session guitar player. Mm. It's just it's you know, not prodigal. And when we did when we would do that song live, uh, we would the session guys kind of changed the arrangement. Uh-huh. And so we would do the song live, and we kept our regular arrangement for it. So sometimes people would. Uh, you know, they say, boy, you guys really play that different than the record. Hmm. Yeah, because we play it the way we wrote it. <laughs> Not the way it was interpreted by the session guys. But, but that was a really good experience. Yeah. What that was, was that was at the time in 1980, that was going to be the, the trajectory of, of Prodigal. And then they obviously weren't able to get us a record deal. We got really close with, with a couple of, and they were actually shopping it as a secular, you know, going to secular labels. They were very close with MCA records. Hmm. Um, and um, it, just, it just never happened. Uh, and in the meantime, Dave had joined the band, Dave Workman, the mm-hmm. drummer, mm-hmm. And, uh, and Mike Wilson had been with us since 79, the bass player. And, and those guys were getting so tight with us and Dave was writing songs and had really you know singing you know lead on songs really we had really developed into a very strong band with with that combination of people we finally felt like we we had really hit on good yeah and so when um, uh, basically our producer got frustrated not being able to get any label people interested enough to pull the trigger on a deal mm. uh, basically just 
found some investors and started his own record label. Yeah. Heartland Records. And um, so when we uh, got got started with uh, the first album, um, we were looking at songs. And, uh, you know, there, there was a, you know, a big thing about what are we going to do with these songs that we have that are really well done, but they're not really, you know, not totally us. Yeah. And but we decided to use them anyway. And, and, uh, and one song we didn't use um, is a song called One More Time, which has appeared on uh, the recent reissues uh, as a bonus track. Right. Uh, oh. A live, a live version of that song. So we'll, we'll have to get that. I don't even have got your uh, the, the three CD box set that came out just before this latest reissue. So now I've got to go get that. <laughs> Yeah, the um, <clears throat> the retroactive records right. um, the issues have uh, have some uh, some bonus tracks, and and that's actually that's uh, I think the song one more time um, that we do that that is a bonus track on the, on the first album reissue. Um, that's probably the only unreleased song of of all the bonus tracks. I think uh-huh. we've got some um, alternate takes of. Uh, songs but they're basically still the song um but yeah anyway yeah, so uh, a lot of people missed out on the uh box set so now they can get them from retroactive records there and it just uh out last yeah. year correct it just last yeah. year uh april of this year yeah okay so that even more recent there you go and and let me um uh put a plug in here for retroactive records yes um uh basically uh, if you're interested in, in picking up any any of the reissued albums, the three albums, um, uh, go to our website, actually, prodigalnow.com. That's probably the easiest uh, yeah. uh, thing to remember. And uh, all the information about um, about the uh, the reissues uh, through um, Retroactive Records is, is on our, our webpage. Perfect, Prodigal yeah. Now. Good. And we'll put a link on our uh, Facebook page as well, so that's great. That's good. Oh, and also there's a... Um, there's a uh, I'll put in a little plug for a Facebook page a couple of friends here in Cincinnati have called Prodigal Fans United. Okay, good. That's uh, that's another good place for information, and sometimes there's things that, that end up on there that uh, don't show up anywhere else. Oh, well, that's so, great. Yeah, maybe some uh, video clips of uh, days gone by. They seem to, uh, they seem to resurface without warning, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, things... <clears throat> That's one thing, you know. There, there are the videos that we um, produced yeah. uh, for the songs, but uh, as far as any live video or or anything like that, I I have not seen anything show up. No. Uh, so, did any of your videos that did they ever make to MTV or anything like that? Uh, no. No. No, they didn't. No. And, and, I, I don't think they were of the quality that should have made it to MTV. We had no budget right. for video at all. So we basically were working on wherever we could come up with some free time. And we were basically working on Lloyd's creativity and mm-hmm. and the rest of us, our, our availability to try to make something out of nothing and, and to, just to get some videos out there. Um, and at the time, the only outlet really pretty much that we could get uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network's uh, real video. Right. I was going to ask that. We we got that even up here. We used to watch real videos. And, 
I think I've got some uh, store-bought uh, videos from the, those shows. They put them together, compilations, so I might have to look through and see what I have yeah. on there. So, yeah. Yeah, and they, uh, they got to the point where they they would play our videos, but, but they um, they weren't afraid to say, hey, these guys are, are known for putting out pretty bad videos. Oh, no. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they they were creative and 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 funny and and everything, but there was just no budget. Yeah, it was yeah. They were done, you know, on less than a shoestring. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so you know, it was um, it was exciting making videos. And it was fun making videos, but we had we had to do all the work ourselves, pretty much. Um, Except for you know we had some people editing and stuff like that, but yeah, that, you know when you see the final product and I've never had for the video we did for just like real life um, the jump cut song um, we actually um, our the president of the record company of Heartland Records David Brown uh, was able to come up with a 16 millimeter film uh, camera. Mm-hmm. So that was actually shot on on 16 millimeter film, um, and and done in, in actual film mm-hmm. cutting and splicing, um, and uh, so that was uh, a little a little more a little more fun, a little more interesting, um, uh, but still it all it all had that to me that that video look that um, a lot of a lot of people, you could kind of tell the the pros from the. Uh, <laughs> Well, there's some pretty bad pro videos as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's true. Also, I mean, you know, I I, I was all, you know, people would accuse me of being way too critical of of our own stuff when you know, and they say, well, you know, look at what else is out there. But you know, I mean, then also it's the same time frame that Peter Gabriel was doing these incredibly oh, yeah animation no. things. You know, it's what we would have liked to have been doing, but there's no no way. No. Anyway, yeah. So the videos never made it to um, to uh, MTV, and uh, I I do have a master um, copy of all the videos, which I'm intend to get restored and will we'll put. I, I suppose I will will get a, a Prodigal Now uh, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Put them all up in one place. We, you know, you can find them on YouTube. Other people have posted them, but they're usually second, third generation. Yeah, you know, I'd rather I'd rather see your channel. So that's so I'll I'll wait for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I will get those up there um, at, along with uh, the other things that I'm that I'm doing. Well, that's really good. That's great. Um, okay, so did you guys tour very much, or did you play one-offs here and there? Did you get to tour? Yeah, we we did get to tour, um, not as much, nearly not nearly as much as we would have liked to, um, and uh, I know that this is maybe part of, uh, of another question, but um, it, we didn't get, uh, you know, we didn't get a lot of radio behind us. Yeah, we were a little hard to categorize. Um, kind of like you know when you ask me what kind of music we played and and 45 minutes later <laughs> i still haven't said what we played yeah um but you know it was it was hard and and lyrically um 
lyrically, it was hard for radio programmers to pick out a song that they thought uh, this will this will really hit our 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 youth pastor support crowd, you know, <laughs> and like this, you know, um, or or you know, this will make the Sunday school to send in donations every 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 month. This will really make them feel good. And you know, uh, was. It's just uh, not quite that that mainstream Christian music thing. So we didn't have a lot of radio behind us. Um, so it was it was really hard for our for our manager and our booking agency to um, you know to turn that into any kind of um, decent touring thing. I mean, we you know we did get around. We got to Canada a couple of times, mm-hmm. and um, and always always enjoyed that because in the eighties the. Uh, the, the currency exchange was always very fair. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So we'd, we'd spent a lot of American dollars while we were up there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah we, we played some really some, uh did a, a festival in, I think, 84, um, and uh, maybe Kitchener, maybe? Yeah. Sure. Um, and uh, a lot of... Uh, Actually, the the Friday night, uh, the two headline bands were Prodigal and Striper. Ah. There were just a lot of other incredible people there, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was a really good show. The the first uh, <clears throat> the, the, Canada, uh, our our first stop was in a high school auditorium, yeah, and maybe Hamilton or something like that. And um, um, <laughs> some kids were helping us set up and one high school kid said said to me um what why did you guys come to canada um we have the daniel band <laughs> wow sorry did, you know uh, didn't didn't uh, yeah we know of the daniel band but um <laughs> i might want to take the winter off so we came to canada in the middle of winter uh that is yeah. so un-canadian <laughs> but that's a high school kid right yeah. Wow, <laughs> he's probably not an R guy somewhere, some legal now. Yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, the touring thing. It, yeah. it's, it, you know, we we had some really good shows and some, but usually we would end up, you know, traveling, you know, hundreds of miles to play for a couple hundred high school kids. Yeah, or, you know, yeah. Group or, you know, we did. Uh, we wanted to do like college campuses and we did a lot of college campus shows and everything. Um, just never, it never got, uh, and basically that's mainly the reason why we only did three albums. Uh. Um, we, we just couldn't, um, uh, being on an independent label and, uh, you know, just not having the, um, just the same support system that, uh, some of our other friends yeah all the time it's it's not easy it's tough really tough and we didn't even have cell phones no (laughs) or facebook or any of that i mean we couldn't develop you know we couldn't go on the road and develop this uh social network no you know it's different Uh, now and unfortunately a lot of them they're they're aging musicians that are trying to keep things going and uh they could have used this a lot lot uh early in the career so you know but uh, back, we can't all be back. Striper and Daniel Band, can we? <laughs> yeah. Back then, uh, it, you know, traveling down the road, a, a phone booth was like an oasis. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, there's a phone booth. We all got to call home. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, you've answered, it's good you're answering my questions before I ask. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I, I'll say this. You guys were very polished, progressive. Um, and you talked a little bit about this. So I, I was going to ask you how you re, re, recreated that live. Was it a challenge? And you obviously said it was. And, uh, songs came out a little different. Would you say they, uh, for you, did they sound better to you live? Like, did you, this is what you really wanted it to sound like? Or did things come across on album the way you, were you happy totally with it? Or were you always just wishing it was a little bit different? Yeah. Um, well, uh, some songs I think came across, uh, better, uh, better live. Um, the song, uh, from the first album, Sidewinder, uh, I was always disappointed with the way it recorded, the way we ended up. Um, as a matter of fact, we weren't even sure that we were going to put that on the record. Mm. We didn't really even have a final take of it, and the mix down that ends up that ended up on the record, I, I specifically remember, and I can hear it to this day when I listen to it. The engineer is doing some A B on some EQ and reverb things to show us and I hear that on the final mix down and that's something that should never be on a mix too no. you know? um, and so that's how we were at the point of well you know if we're going to use it we've got to do a, another final mix of it but then we ran out of time and they said hey we're going to use this well wait a minute we didn't do the final mix well this is close enough oh. so you know and I was just never happy with that I don't think it was I don't think it was as powerful as it as it should have been, um, and I think it was a lot more powerful when we played it live, which is interesting because mm-hmm. we were all just a four-piece band. And you can crank it up, though. You're... And we made a lot of noise. Yeah. For... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, did you ever see Prodigal Live? No. Wish I had. Yeah, well, you know. Um, were you ever to Vancouver? Probably not, eh? Or no. Seattle? Um, no, no, never made it. No, uh, it, yeah, we didn't get west very much. Yeah, uh, we did make it to uh, Washington uh, and, uh, of course, California. Yeah, uh, but never Western Canada. We, the only times we went to Canada was uh, good old Ontario, <laughs> center of the universe. Sorry, listeners in Ontario, uh, uh, they they I say that with love. They know we like to tease them out there. Well, it's, you know, it's just not that far north from Ohio. <laughs> no, exactly. So that's why I mentioned Seattle, because we used to go to a lot of concerts in Seattle simply because nobody came up here to Canada. So we just take a, you know, two-hour drive down to Seattle. It was great. I uh, saw a lot of bands, including Daniel Band. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, what, yeah, so with, once again with the live thing, yeah. um, it, was, it, it was hard to replicate things that you'd you'd spend so much time on in the studio yeah Um, but you know one thing when we were in the studio we didn't bring in a lot of uh, you know a lot of extra players to do you know to do things um you know it was pretty much just the four of us occasionally we'd bring in somebody to play acoustic guitar on a song because i didn't like to play acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. for some reason and or we you know like on um um 
Yeah, that song that I mentioned a moment ago that has the sax solo yeah. in it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want you back again. Yeah. Uh, amazing soprano sax solo, jazz sax solo. Um, but, you know, something like that. Um, but uh, most of the time it was just uh, it was just four of us. And uh, one thing we did do is we would, we would carry a, a, a two-track uh, studio quality uh, reel-to-reel tape deck with us that had a lot of the sound effects um, it was a Q-tape you know had a lot of the sound effects and different things um, uh, like for um, Emerald City it had the intro uh, from uh, Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. uh, that song off so we would always start the song off with that so our sound guy had to be very involved yeah. actually uh, and that's that's another <coughs> thing we, we always carried our, our, we considered our sound man to be a member of the band. Of course, we do. Yeah, I do as well. Always had gave gave our sound man credit on the album, you know, as being part of the band and everything. Got same, um, same little chump change that the rest of us got. Yes, exactly. We, yep, yeah, um, he's yeah. I agree. Uh, definitely part of the band, and without him, you're just standing there <laughs> playing your air guitars so we, we tried to make as as much noise as four guys could yeah. and 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 tried to you know it was um you know you, like with with lloyd he had to decide because on a lot of songs he had like three or four keyboard tracks yeah so you know which one is the most important one which one do i play uh you know and and the same with me i would have rhythm guitars and the solo would come up got to play the solo so all of a sudden the rhythm guitar falls out and so you have to try to everybody else has to try to keep energy going yeah so so that it doesn't just you know feel like the bottom falls out when when the solo starts uh you know it's yeah. just like that and try to try to keep your vocal strength up so that uh, you know people have heard these double tracked vocals yeah uh, yeah and you and one one thing, though, that uh, we didn't have pitch correction. No, we sure did not. Yeah. Prodigal albums, it's obvious that there was no such thing as pitch correction, so we didn't have to try to uh, replicate perfect vocals. <laughs> um, but uh, just to try to get the you know the blend and, and the mix and, and everything with uh, usually being in... in uh, not the best acoustic situations on these stages and the monitor systems, you know. Uh, of course, everybody's got in-ears now. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's it's a lot, a lot easier to to get your own mix and hear things. And, and uh, you know, when we first went out in 1982, when the record was first released, when we first started touring, uh, you know, we probably didn't we probably didn't represent that record all that well um, just, just the whole thing of being pretty new at touring together and um, I mean we just had you know, one guitar Dave's little drum kit the bass and Fender's, uh, Lloyd's Fender Rhodes electric piano and that's all we had uh-huh. didn't have any you know, sound effects we didn't have any uh reverb unit for the vocals or anything like that pretty stripped down um, sound system 
and you know it it developed a little more as you know as we we toured more we were able to pick up a few things and but still, I mean, what we were, what we envisioned was being able to have, you know, uh, video screen support behind us, right. all the images that should have behind us on Electric Eye, yeah. or Scene of the Crime, you know, things like that. And we just never made it to that point where it became re- a, a reasonable uh, thought to put that together. But we met a lot of great people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but because, you know, without social media, you, yeah. you leave that town and you leave those people and it's hard to remember. That's right, it, yeah. That's that's one thing that's been so um, fascinating to me and, and really it's it's um, it's actually you know, been very touching to me uh, through the social media and through the uh, doing the uh, anniversary reissue in 2014 mm-hmm. to, to get contact from people that, you know, well, some people actually have, you know, contacted us through Facebook or through the website. Said, yeah, I met you here and did the, you know, we did this and, and people have stories, yeah. product stories, you know, and, and some of them actually, I, I remember the situation and I remember what happened and, and it was a pretty funny thing. Was, yeah. <laughs> But it's, you know, just so many people just say, oh, you guys were so, you know, influential um, and, uh, you know, came to town. I was here and doing this, and I remember everything that happened the day you guys came to town, and I remember the night of the concert. Man, if we, you know, if we would have known. Exactly, yeah. We, thought, we seriously felt like we were just back. See, the instant feedback now, someone could tweet you now and tell you, you were great last night. You know, and here you don't hear about it for years and years and years. That uh, you meant a lot to a lot of people. So at least you know it now. But I, I know what you're saying. Like you have no idea uh, in the in the time that we were in back then of of things. And I remember seeing bands often and hoping that they remembered I came up and said hello. You know, and they just be polite and say yo yo yeah that was great but there's no way but if you had the constant contact and the facebook page and your face showing up on their you know tweeter they more likely remember but uh yeah you'll you, you'll never know till you're in heaven how many people you've really influenced so uh just be assured that you have you know and uh god has been in it for a long lot longer than we realize right right so um anyways so you're telling me what your fans are like. It's awesome that you're you're hearing about them now because I I heard that you were very surprised at the uh, you know people were really interested in your albums coming out again, and uh, I'm hoping this next uh, group are selling as well too, and uh, encourage people to to check it out. Um, what did they do with the remastering? Did they, they didn't do any remixing or anything. I'm sure you would love to have got a hold of some and do that by the sound of it. But, uh, what did they do to enhance anything from what originally we heard? Well, uh, for the, um, um, for the, uh, yeah, the, the 30 year anniversary set, the three box, the box set that was done in 
2014. Um, that was done uh, through Gary Hedden in Nashville, and um, he took the. Uh, um, I have all the uh, pretty much most of the uh, two-track masters, um, and a lot of the 24-track um, two-inch uh, unmixed uh, tapes also. But uh, I sent him copies of of the. Um, two track masters of all, all three records and uh, you have to restore those tapes um, through the, the, the process called baked. right um, and um, and then so he had the tapes baked restored and then and then he, there's all kinds of um, software plugins and wizardry that um, somebody like Gary that's been doing this stuff since uh, the 70s um does and I, I'm not really privy to to all of what he did, uh, but um, just you know, the, the kind of the standard enhancement to um, to bring everything up to a good volume level mm-hmm. and eat, even everything out and make sure that uh, there were no dropouts and uh, or any uh, strange noises or anything <laughs> that had hundred debate through the years. Yeah, no, no squeaky bass pedals like on the, right. the Beatles, right? <laughs> and, and then the uh, uh, the new um, uh, reissues on Retroactive Records. Um, they uh, Retroactive Records has my label is uh, Silver Orb Media, and that's what the, uh, the first reissue was released on Silver Orb Media. Uh, so Silver Orb Media has made um, a, a lease contract with Retroactive Records to lease the masters to them. Uh, so they can, um, uh, so that they could uh, re- redo them. So they, pretty much, whatever they did, um, they have their own mastering um, they use, and uh, they just took the, um, the the files from the, um, the original uh, remixes, not remixes, but uh, remastered yeah. from the first from the first set, and uh, then he did kind of his own touch up. Kind of his own flavor. So there are subtle differences, mm-hmm. different sets of reissues um, uh, sonically. Um, so it, 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 people have have asked, "Is it, I have the the first set? Is it worth to get it for you know sonically for the remastering? Is it worth getting this? How was it done? What's it? and I'm you know I'm not going to really get into nuts and no. bolts of it on this." But um, you know there are subtle differences, mm-hmm. and you'd, but I think you'd really have to be pretty into <laughs> stuff like that to. to uh, but on on the new reissues from Retroactive Records, there there is um, there are bonus tracks. Yeah. Uh, well, that's always the good selling point too. And the, uh, the Electric Eye um, uh, reissue from Retroactive is a double CD, right? Because it has the um, the radio special the there you go spe- there you go that's great so the encyclopedia of contemporary christian music says uh prodigal was in tune with the sound and spirit of the early 80s uh did you listen to current bands to stay current like did you purposely say well we're an 80s band we're in the 80s we want to you know we're going to high schools so we better listen to what they're listening to to kind of get the sound. Or do you just say, nah, we're just going to do what we want to do, and people will either like it or not? Yeah, yeah, we were, um, we didn't, 
No, we didn't sit down and, and have a meeting and say, okay, we need to watch MTV and find out what everybody's listening to and do music like that. Um, we, But we also, you would hear the influence of what we were listening to in what we did right, you know. Mm -hmm. So we listened to the music of the 80s because that's when it was. And and that's that stuff would influence us. Obviously, obviously Lloyd was influenced by Super Tramp and Peter Gabriel and, um, and like I said, I had been influenced by Poco and the Beatles and and Dave, uh, our drummer, was uh, also a major Beatles Beatles fan. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd also, but you know, from from earlier, uh, Lloyd was his start in music was in um, uh, musicals and uh, stage mm. uh, like Broadway type things yeah. and he's which sometimes uh, I'm sure you can you can tell in his vocal presentations um, you know he he could have been in you're right you're right yeah I'm listening I'm hearing it now exactly what you're saying and I also I stand corrected on the on super trap I I disagree with people online about saying the comparing you to super tramp i says no and no, i don't hear it because i didn't like super tramp and i like prodigal so i don't i think part of it was uh there was not a lot of guitar in super tramp so there's a lot of guitar you know i like the crunch and rock mixed with the smoothness i like that not just you know straight keyboard and vocal kind of thing so yeah well, i i think um probably probably the, most people that say super tramp We'll probably grab that from uh, the the Fender Rhodes piano yeah. intro to uh, Sleepwalk. Yeah, and probably the high singing, you know, the the tenor singing and, and, as well. And the, yeah, the vocal thing too, which which shows up shows up everywhere. Yeah. And you know, maybe somebody will correct me and say, no, the Super Tramp influence shows up here. Yeah. <laughs> they might. Because you know, Lloyd was a lot. Lloyd was a lot more into Super, Super Tramp than I was. Uh, I liked him, but I was not, not a big fan. But of course, you know, Lloyd would come in, and Lloyd also was a very big Billy Joel. Fan. Right. Now, that doesn't mean when he writes a song that he has Billy Joel in his. He may have Billy Joel in his head when he writes this song. Then when he brings it in to uh, to Dave and Mike and I. We might not hear Billy Joel. As a matter of fact, we probably won't hear Billy Joel. We're going to hear something else. We're going to hear Toto, or we're going to hear Ambrosia, yeah. uh, or we're going to hear Kansas. There you go. There's you know. the three I would go with. If I was to book a concert and you would be the fourth band, I would put those four together easily. Wow. I would, I would as far as musical tastes and, you know, oh, all in your heyday kind of thing and, and full-on sound. And uh, unfortunately, if if you had gotten on with some of those groups touring, you probably would have had some of that equipment in the back <laughs> that would let you use. You know, that's where the other bands lucked out with uh, touring with certain bands. They borrow the drum kit. They'd have the sound system. So it all really depends a lot on breaks, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we did um, we did get a chance to open for Petro once yeah. in Chicago. Um, and there was, there was a great venue called the Odeon. Um, it was half concert venue and half hockey. Venue. <laughs> we were on, we 
of course, on the on the uh, concert side. But uh, we opened for Petra, and probably seven or ten thousand people there uh, that that night. And uh, yeah, that was and that was that was a great thing. Yeah. And it was it was nice uh, when we played at that festival in uh, uh, in Kitchener. I think that where it was, it was funny. We were supposed to play. Uh, the the prime slot was was from like seven to ten or something like that, and it was going to be Prodigal and Striper. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to play at like seven or seven thirty, and then Striper was supposed to come on and finish off the night, you know, cap off the night, big you know Striper blast off. <laughs> but then he came to us and said, "Hey, you know, um, uh, we got to we got to get a plane to uh, to Japan. This was their first tour of Japan." Oh boy. And I said, we can't do that last time slot. And oh, we said, so, wow. so you want to switch with us, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, would you guys mind going on after us? I said, no, no. We, nope. you know, Striper opens we, for Prodigal. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, they presented it to us like they thought we would be afraid to follow Striper. Oh. Like, one thing we... You know, we didn't lack confidence, no. especially at that point. Uh, that was probably Electric Eye had been out probably six, eight months by then. No, actually, that was yeah, yeah, it's probably about. Right. And uh, so, yeah, we felt like, yeah, that's no problem. We'll do that. We'll we'll take the prime slot if you guys. You yeah. Know. They came up and they put on a killer show. It was great, and then. And it just it just charged us up, and and we you know felt like we uh, we came up and put on a killer show. Too. Awesome! Oh, yeah. no, that's great. I would love to see that. I would love to have a, a video yeah. of that. Night. Maybe somebody out there somewhere does. Let us know. <laughs> you never know what comes up unless you ask. You never know. Okay, so Prodigal self-titled debut album was named Album of the Year, 1982, by Group Magazine, along with here we go. Amy Grant's Age to Age, and Petra's More Power to You. So that's pretty good company right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and then that was Group Magazine, yeah. and uh, uh, CCM Magazine was pretty good to us they, that year, Yeah, too. I remember reading about you there, yeah. Um, we got, uh, you know, we got some, some good reviews and some... some Reviews like, uh, uh, you know, what are these guys all about? You know, mm-hmm. and some, you know, not not so good reviews in 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 some of the editorial, you know, things. But uh, yeah, um, uh, that was definitely good company to be to be named as uh, as album of the year. Our first, you know, I mean, our first first album, and mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden we show up and here we are, and uh, you know, I don't. I don't think Amy's first album was album of the year, and I no. know Petra's first album was album. Definitely of the year. not. Definitely not. Pretty, and you know, it's not just just a new band. It was a new record label, yeah, and an independent record label. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, we were distributed by just independent Christian bookstore distributors. Um, eventually, uh, the first album was picked up, and Heartland Records was picked up by uh, Yes their uh, priority label um and uh but, but that didn't that didn't last long um 
they shut down that, <laughs> that department yeah. long after picking up our record. <clears throat> so, um, but uh, the trials of business. Yeah. So Electric Eye Group second album received Best of the Year honors in 1984, CCM Magazine and Campus Life Magazine. That's the other one I used to read that a lot just for their music reviews. The album also received national attention for unique promotional ideas, a computer program for the Commodore 64, that's dating us, was mastered into a stop groove at the end of the vinyl record, the first time this had ever been done. The program, if copied to a cassette tape, could be loaded via cassette drive into a... Oh boy, all this stuff. Uh, Mr. Bill would understand this. Anyway, bottom line, lyrics and a message from the band were included in that. A video for the song Boxes, written by Workman and Boldman, uh, won the first Gospel Music Association Dove Award for music videos. So there's a first. And Best Visual Song. The music video for the song Fast Forward was named Video of the Year by the National Federation of Local Cable Programmers, now the Alliance for Community uh, Media, also one of the greatest album covers of any genre, I think. Who came up with the album cover? Uh, the album covers were, were uh, Lloyd's era. Yeah. Uh, he was... Genius. Uh, besides being a great musician and... Uh, and uh, an amazing singer. He was also a graphic artist, so he he did a lot of our layouts and and designed the um, uh, the electric eye cover. Um, actually, uh, did you say you you have the the three CD? I sets? do. Yes. Okay. So there was a card inside the uh, the box uh, that is a Lloyd's original drawing, right? Of his of his design for that cover that he sent to. Um, to to the record label and said here's here's what I want to do for the cover and here's my idea and it, and that's what he showed to us too saying hey I think this would be and then we'll 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 get a you know we'll set up all this gear somewhere and just take a picture of it and have it enhanced and yeah yeah sounds good and you know pretty much he would uh, always credit Dave with some kind of help on the design mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit Dave Dave and him pretty much considered. Mike and I to be um, kind of artistic Neanderthals. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get fit in on those conversations, yeah. but uh, and there's T-shirts that you can get with those covers. Is that right? From the I think the box that had that uh, offer, or the current the current uh, group, the current uh, Boons Overstock. They've got them. The people, the people, yeah, the people that are uh, the retroactive records. Um, they've uh, done a T-shirt for the Electric Eye cover and for the first album. Okay. Which is a, a variation on a theme from a M.C. Escher uh, uh, painting called Relativity. Wow. That, uh, of course, the, you know, the variation Lloyd did, did himself. He basically re, redrew a uh, M.C. Escher drawing with the character of the song. <clears throat> well, that's great. Yeah. So people can get that. Okay, so what what are you doing now, and what uh, musically for the future? Are you retired? Are you planning to put together another group or do some solo work? Uh, what's up for you next? Well, uh, let me see. Um, according to the uh, according to Social Security, I'm retired. Yeah. I check every month. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I have. I have uh, 
I have a recording studio called Silver Orb Studio, and um, that's no way to make a living. Hmm. Uh, but it's it's fun, nice man. It's game. fun, and if anybody wants to get a hold of you, they could probably can if they've got some up and coming bands. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a uh, I have a partner, and we have a, a Facebook page, uh, Silver Orb. I think it's Silver Orb Studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I, I do that. Um, I'm playing some at the church uh, that I attend. Um, and uh, also, um, uh, let me see, I've, I've got a couple of projects um, uh, that I've worked on, played guitar and things for, for other people, yeah. um, you know, just side projects. Um, but uh, my... My main focus now is is um, I'm going to restore um, some more uh, some unreleased product. Great, that's uh, what I wanted to hear. <laughs> that's yeah. There was uh, we did an album in 1976 that was we started it with our original drummer um, Jeff Clark and Lloyd Nine, and we we used a um, session bass player. Um, and uh, we started that in 1976, and we finished it uh, somewhere around the middle of 77, I would think. And we got as far as a test pressing, and um, somehow the uh, well, the audio quality had just gotten away from us, and, and it took so long to record the album. We had so many newer songs that we didn't really feel it was that representative of us anyway yeah. so and the drummer had left the band so we had you know pretty much all new people anyway so it was test pressing on vinyl but it was never released mm-hmm. um, and that that's that silly test pressing um, seems to have developed a legend of its own uh-huh. You know, a, a, a little unknown band in 77 puts out a test pressing that four or five copies were made. <laughs> and somehow, <laughs> somehow it's it's like um, it, it, it's showed up in some kind of uh, contemporary Christian collectibles uh, listed at like four or five hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, this test pressing... Yeah. Um, the record label, um, this was another one of those deals where the producer was going to start a record label and we were going to be the first record on the record label. The record label was going to be called Hunting in the Rock Raids. And so this test pressing became known as Prodigal's Hunting in the Rock Project or whatever. And so, the you know, the legend and... and some people will talk about it like that was the name of the album or like band used to be called Honey in the Rock or something with to do with Prodigal and Honey and Rocks. <laughs> yeah. All but of the anyway, above. That, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it was. And uh, I've recently had um, the vinyl restored and uh, I'm going to release Honey in the Rock. Awesome. Well, and think it's going to be a double album with the music that was recorded after Honey in the mm-hmm. Rock before the Heartland Records um, started. So it, none of this will include Dave Workman or 
Mike Wilson, all the three those guys. The early days. Yeah, it'll be a prodigal backstory, basically. Yeah. The, the Fields Oldman backstory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, different players that we've played with and some different projects we've done, different songs that, you know. And, um, you know, it's it's not earth-shattering stuff. I mean, the first direct, that Honey in the Rock project, the first record, um, you know, I mean, we were new writers and feeling our way, and there's some real magic on it, and there's some real naive, goofy stuff, you know, that should probably never see the light yeah. of day. But, you know, I think everybody has. That's right. Stuff. It'll be fun to listen to. So, you know, yeah. Just. yeah so, <laughs> so I'm, uh, there, there's a, going to be a lot of work involved with that. So that'll uh, take some time to put together. Yeah, in remastering the, um, the vinyl and then the, uh, a lot of the stuff um, that was recorded after that uh, and before the Heartland Project um, is, is multi-track. It's from multi-track tapes, yeah. so that have to be restored yeah. and then mixed, which will be fun. For but it'll be hard for me to not go through and redo all of my parts. No, exactly. From, yeah, from, from the 1979 to the uh, you know yeah. the, the 2018 Rick Fields. Uh, I'm a little bit different guitar player than I was. Better, of course, right? <laughs> Or different, yeah. A little, the fingers are a little stiffer, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a different drummer than I used to be too. I played a little more straight ahead now. So, <laughs> but so, will you be doing a, a Kickstarter or anything, or you is just um? No, no, I, I, no, no just do it a different route. Gonna fund it Good. myself. Okay. Uh, and it, to me, that's just a lot more straightforward, a lot less confusing. And if you want it, you buy yeah. it, yeah. Um, and I don't have to come up with a bunch of spiffs and a bunch of things. <laughs> yeah, I know that can get. Uh, who ordered what and who gave how much, yeah. so they get what level? And I don't have to do house concerts with. Yeah. <laughs> if I be honest, I mean I've been part of quite a few, or at least I've partaked in a few, and I've often said, "Have we just put the album out already? I don't want the T-shirts. I don't want the buttons. I don't want all that stuff. Just give me the album." But you know, when it's all said and done, you're happy. There was one current one just came out. It was it's really good, but uh, I, I would have been happy with the first uh, just the album itself <laughs> and get it sooner. But it takes a lot of work, a lot of uh, patience, and a lot of uh, like you say, <laughs> it's yeah, scrambling around. Yes. So, so it, it's not going to be on on, on multicolor. No, just put it out on a yeah. CD or in a black vinyl if you could do the vinyl. If not, CD um, yeah, and downloads are fine. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do no. vinyl or, or or what. It, uh, you know, I, I just that's just a decision. I it, basically it's just I have to decide if I want to, you know, yeah. if I want to put that much up front and if I think I can get that much back. Yeah. You know, I'm just really not sure. You know what kind of market there is for pre-prodigal products. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, once it gets out there and people can start hearing samples of what it you know what it is it's you know it's a lot different yep. than than the prodigal that they know mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely shows the development of where we started and where we kind of moved to in the middle years and 